What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. On the line right now to tell the whole world how the Green Bay Packers are kicking the shit out of every other NFL team this offseason is Zach Jacobson of Cheesehead TV. Zach, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Chase. Uh, just barely waking up, getting functioning, but I'm good. Happy to be on. It is early, man. I'm getting in the habit of doing these early morning podcasts. I kind of like them, but I don't know how I feel about them because, you know, I'm still figuring things out. My brain is scrambled. I haven't had scrambled eggs. It's just all craziness right now. It's it's give and take. It feels good to get up and kind of, you know, get moving and get things done early in the day. But at the same time, you know, do you really want to? Yeah. I, well, <laughs> I like the podcast, so I, I can do that right now. Um, hey. So first thing I need to ask you. Do you think Ted Thompson is still rolling over in his grave with the Jimmy Graham signing? I sure hope not. Uh, either way, he's going to have to learn to live with it. It's a new, it's a new uh, regiment in Green Bay, you know. So uh, I, 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 I feel like cause last offseason, you know, he signed six, seven free agents. It was the most free agents he signed in an offseason since I think 2006. So mm. he. He he went out, you know, with a bang. Uh, so signing Jimmy Graham, you know, Muhammad Wilkerson, Shaman Williams, all the, all these guys. Well, not all these guys. That was really it. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I hope he's not rolling in his grave. He, he has to learn to live with it one way or another. I think I, I think the Shaman Williams signing was the best of the offseason. That's just my personal opinion. Really, on it, but yeah. Over, I think it's Wilkerson. It feels like their pass rush last year just really needed somebody like him, and he's going to mesh really well with Mike Pettin. Um, did they have a, did they cross pass in New York when he was the defensive coordinator with the Jets or was he right before that? Yeah. Oh no. Wilkerson came in the league in 2011, 2012, uh, right around there. That was, I think, okay. uh, yeah, that was around Petten kind of having his last few years in New York. Uh, so yeah, there's that, for one there, year. There's yeah, that. Real, okay. Yeah. 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 There's that familiarity was, there between them. What was that? What, who was there? Uh, I mean, who was their biggest? offseason sign because you said thompson signed six people last year i'm trying to remember like who green bay was touting as their big offseason splash last year i don't remember i really don't want to mention it but martellus bennett right right that was um, which that is was not a great big, sign. <laughs> yeah no that is not looking back now you know in, in in retrospect that was just wow that was just the biggest whiff of the offseason my god a lot of it was health, though. If he was healthy, I mean, he would have been great. And it was just, um, he wasn't healthy. And then he retired, like, mid-year. He even tried to go with the Pats down the stretch, and that didn't work. And um, I feel like Packers fans do not like him very much. I seem to recall that. I think it was because he, like, seemed like he was done. And then he was like, no, just kidding. I'm going to go sign with the Pats and try it one more time. And then that that did not work either. So it's good yeah, that you di- he didn't succeed in New England. Because then I think Green Bay fans would have been really pissed off if he had yeah, been able to yeah. stay healthy in New England and play. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the disdain kind of really 
grew from the fact that once Aaron Rodgers went down with the, the collarbone injury, then all of a sudden it seemed like Martellus Bennett didn't want to play anymore. You know, he didn't seem like he wanted to mess with Brett, with Brett right. Hundley. But, Which uh, I, 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 I get it. Yeah, I yeah, didn't want yeah. to watch Brett Hundley. And That's I was told that he was okay, and he was not. And now you have Deshaun Kaiser, though, who I've always liked. So maybe if uh, – actually, I'm not going to put that on you. It's early. I'm not going to make you have to think about the the possibility of another season where Aaron Rodgers is not playing every game. So, please, please don't um, put me through that. <laughs> um, why is there so much buzz surrounding Des Bryant going to Green Bay? Like, I get the ostensible – need at receiver but at the same time there's a reason that he's uh available right now at this point after the draft after everything like the latest report was that like he wanted one big prove it deal and i don't know if green bay is the right spot for that one i don't know man like des is obviously someone i really like for years but like i don't know there's just something weird if the cowboys are willing to move on from him and save that money even though they still eat a lot this year like I just, I don't love that for them. And I've already been adamant about he had future Redskin written all over him after he was cut from the uh, Cowboys this offseason. I feel like he he mm-hmm. belongs in Washington and a team that's still convincing themselves that they can go to the Super Bowl. But hey, they have Alex Smith now, my dude. So maybe they will actually have a pretty good year. But anyway, um, why is Des Bryant and Green Bay uh, just this supposed perfect marriage when... I, I just don't really see it. I think because you, you mentioned their their wide receiver situation, which I, which I don't think is as bad as it's being touted to be. I mean, they yeah. drafted three receivers. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to have any problem, you know, creating weapons out of these guys. And I mean, people people are forgetting Jimmy Graham is going to function pretty much as, as a wide receiver. Yes. He's not he's not going to be you know your your natural tight end lineup on the line. Uh, I'm still getting accustomed to these whole Des Bryant rumors. I mean, these just showed up last night. You know, I'm like getting ready to fall asleep and I check Twitter and all of a sudden, oh, Jason Wynn predicts Des Bryant to Green Bay. I'm like, what the hell? And it just, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, I get the whole fascination with it because Des Bryant, you know, he's nearing the tail end of his career, coming to Green Bay, playing with someone like Aaron Rodgers who could use a big body receiver like that. And I know Des Bryant, you know, he wanted to stay – in the NFC East, and he wanted to play the Cowboys twice a year for that whole revenge factor. I mean, you know, like like the whole, I don't want to say diva, but I mean, you know, he wanted he wanted to get back at the Cowboys for moving on from him. Well, hold um, on, he wanted to also get back at the Garrett guys. That's who he really wanted. <laughs> oh, right, 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 yeah. That's what I mean when I say, when I say the Cowboys. <laughs> oh, uh, that's another thing, though, is like there's no way him and Witten actually talk. So for Witten to make that... Um, prediction was kind of odd to me because they don't seem like two guys that um, are conversing. If there was ever a, a Jason Garrett guy, it's uh, Jason Witten. So Jason Witten, I, I don't think uh, <laughs> he might not sign with the Packers just despite uh, Witten after him saying that up. Oh, you think I'm going to the Packers? Not happening now. Yeah, no, you make a good point. I, I really don't see them conversing with each other. <laughs> it just seems like a really odd <laughs> duo right there uh yeah. he did that des did turn down a multi-year deal from the ravens and he like you said he did want that one year kind of prove it deal we don't know how big he wants it to be but um hell we'll see we'll see how how that happens i wouldn't be surprised if ryan goodness makes a splash i don't see it happening but i mean the packers i think before their rookie pool i think they have 16 million in cap space right around there 
Um, mm-hmm. Probably gets and, stocked down to about 12, 12 million. We'll see. Yeah. But if, I mean, even if you say that it's thin right now, I mean, they still drafted Jamon Moore and guys like that, and it'll be fine. And yeah. Jimmy Graham's functioning, like you said, as a receiver. And then you still have Devontae Adams as long as he doesn't get um, helmet-to-helmet destruction this year. He'll be there. And then Randall mm-hmm. Cobb, if he can stay healthy. And then my dude, Geronimo Allison, who I can never quit, who I still think one day is going to be good. Um, where are you at with him? Because that's my guy. And then Ty Montgomery... Um, who knows if he's going to be a receiver or running back or receiver again or running back. Um, they're never a hundred percent certain, but Aaron Jones is pretty good. So Jamal Williams yep. kind of like him. Uh, it, there is a possibility that he, um, functions as a receiver too. So I think, like you said, it's a little overblown. The Packers just need to sign, um, Des Bryant cause he's going to put a bow on this off season for them. Like that's going to be some sort of significant upgrade to, what their ceiling is this year. I just, I don't see it. Yeah. A lot of receiving threats in that offense. Yeah. I mean, what do you see? Do you think Ty Montgomery is going to get more snaps at receiver or running back this year? I sure hope so. I mean, he, I mean, why not both? I mean, he's a very good running back. We've seen that. He just needs to stay healthy. You know, he's getting a little banged up. You get way more banged up as a running back as opposed to receiver, you know, but Ty Montgomery, if you can use him as a mismatch piece, motion him out wide as a receiver, you know, create those mismatch problems. That's going to be huge for Green Bay's offense. That was how they used him in, 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 in 2015, parts of 2016, before he transitioned into a full-time running back. Um, Jamal Williams, he, he's a good pass-catching running back. Aaron Jones got open sometimes last season, but he didn't really, he didn't get the ball. You know, he wasn't really, he, Aaron Rodgers didn't look that way. I remember one specific instance during the, uh, in Dallas in week five, he, he, came out of the backfield, broke free to the left side of the field. Rodgers didn't look that way. He was wide open. He had at least 30, 35 yards of wide open field in front of him. So, you know, both of those running backs are capable of catching, you know. Um, and Geronimo Allison, your guy. <laughs> he, Am I you know, crazy another... first still? Like, he even looks no, like a big-time no, no, receiver. No. <laughs> it's so frustrating, man. And he'll have some plays, and fl- he's a flashes guy, where you're like, I can see it, and then it just never becomes a consistent thing, and it drives me nuts. No, you're not. You're not crazy at all. I mean, he's he's shown flashes, and for an undrafted receiver to be playing a significant role in Green Bay's offense, that's that's big enough. I mean, we know the roles that undrafted players have had in Green Bay in the last few years uh, under Ted Thompson. You know, specifically in the secondary with Tremont Williams, Sam Shields, all those guys. So to see it on offense, that's that's a little that's a little of a rarity. So Geronimo Austin, he has to be pretty good, right? You know, he has to be showing something in practice to be able to get these consistent snaps on offense and to be able to stick around. And Aaron Rodgers obviously trusts him to an extent. So mm-hmm. uh, he's right now, he's at the top of the depth chart along with Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. His roster spot isn't solidified, but he's up there, at least ahead of the rookie receivers for now until training camp starts, of course. I will say I'm always going to have some sort of animosity towards Devontae Adams for the fantasy season that he gave me a couple years ago and then turning into a top 10 receiver the year after. Um, (laughs) Fantasy was one of the most frustrating things um, in my football lifetime, so I've had a really easy go of it for the most part. But um, Devontae Adams flipping the switch right after my um, just fantasy nightmare with him where I would start him week after week, just waiting for him to break out. It would never happen. He just was awful. And then... Just to be an absolute menace last year it was very frustrating, and I was very upset about it. Now you see why I don't play fantasy. 
It's it's the worst. I don't even know why I do either. It's it's so stupid. Um, so my favorite thing about the Packers offseason thus far is the fact that they signed Jair Alexander. Uh, I mean, signed, <laughs> drafted him in the first round from Louisville, and then they drafted mm-hmm. Josh Jackson in the second round. They were like, we're doubling up. Not only did they have a great cornerback signing in Trevon Williams, who comes back to Green Bay and is going to basically like kind of serve as the veteran mentor for these guys, which is pretty great because he was really good in uh, Green Bay and he's had a really good career. But um, who do you like better in this scheme with Petten, Alexander or Josh Jackson? Because Josh Jackson was graded as the number two um, corner by PFF coming into the draft and they get him in the second round and Jair Alexander, when he was healthy in 2016, was one of the best um, defenders in college football. It's just like one of those things where they lucked out, um, Josh Jackson kind of falling a little bit and it seems like both guys kind of fell because they were undersized. I don't, are they either of them six feet? I'm not sure if either of them are. Um, they're not so. exactly a prototypical outside cornerback size frame and all that kind of stuff, but um, both are really good. And Josh Jackson, um, in Ohio, Ohio State season last year with some ridiculous catches and stuff like that. But um, I loved it. It was a huge weakness on this team. And, uh, I don't know, man. Like, it, it, who do you like better, and how do you think they both will mesh on this uh, Green Bay defense this fall? Well, I just want to point out how absolutely just absurd it was that Josh Jackson fell all the way to forty-five, and I think that was just when he was there and Green Bay was on the clock at forty-five. That was like a no-brainer pick. Yeah, I mean, as as redundant as it looked to double up on corners, you know, at that point, especially when they did it three years before with Quentin Rollins and Marius Randall it seemed like necessary at that point. And they weren't drafting just, they weren't drafting a safety to turn him into a cornerback. You know, they drafted two solid natural cornerbacks and to employ those guys in the Petten's scheme. I think Josh Jackson is going to be the ideal fit in Petten's scheme just because how physical he is. And he is actually six foot. He's, he's, he's more physical than uh, Jari Alexander, but Alexander is way more, how can I say, I guess rambunctious would be the word. He's a lot more, pressy, kind of handsy, not to the point where he's going to draw flags, but, you know, he, he's everything you want pretty much in your slot cornerback. And I exactly, think he's pretty yeah. much the – yeah, absolutely. He's pretty much the presumed slot cornerback, uh, starting slot cornerback in Green Bay right now because I don't think anybody else is going to be stealing the position from him. Uh, and, you know, when he was at Louisville, he, he just – he showed off absolute swagger when he was playing the position. And I think that that word comes to everyone's mind too when they, when they think of Alexander in college. They just think of swagger because he was just – he was in your face, you know, he would kind of yap a little bit. He would get into the heads of the guys he was guarding. So, And he I would Jackson, get his hand on the ball all the time. That was the other thing about him, which was interesting, is he all he yeah, would touch the ball I, yeah, like 20% definitely. or something of balls thrown his way. Is he did something yeah. to um, get involved and wreak havoc. He, he was really, really just instinctive with breaking up passes. I think I think Jackson is probably the best fit for Petten's scheme for what he's trying to run, but Alexander was definitely my my favorite pick of the two, just because of the kind of player he is, and I think what he could bring to Green Bay's defense. That's just my take on it. What excites you most about Mike Patton replacing Dom Capers after seventy three years as the Packers' defensive coordinator? The modernization, just the different looks. Because I feel like when Dom Capers was there, I mean, obviously I'm not in the locker room, I'm not in the film room. Film room, uh, I don't know what they're trying to run, but I feel like they were running a lot of the same thing. 
And I think Tremont Williams put it the best way, actually. He said, you know, when Capers first got there in 2009, he, he, he was modern. He was a modern defensive coordinator. He, he ran things that the league hadn't caught up to with yet. But when the league did catch up to him and what he was running, he didn't change it. Nobody on that defensive staff changed what they were running. So the league was able to kind of figure out what the Packers were running on defense. And that's pretty much why they've been just so, I guess, terrible the last few seasons. But, of course, that falls on player execution and all that. But that's a whole other thing. Um, I, I just I love that Penton brings versatility in his schemes. You know, he's going to roll with a whole kind of different fronts. We don't, we don't even know what his base defense is going to be. We don't know if he's going to roll with 3-4, four, 4-3. Four, you know, I hope. I hope we see more 4-3 just because I love the idea of, of, of a four-man front of Daniels, Clark, Lowry, and uh, Wilkerson. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, I just – I love what Petten brings. You know, just – like I said, from the scheme standpoint, from his whole attitude, because I know the, the players – I mean, we haven't even started OTAs yet. You know, we got another week to go for that. But the players have just reacted to what Petten brings, his mentality – the energy that he brings, they, they, they love it. Mike Daniels called him, you know, the no BS Jersey attitude kind of guy. You know, he's, he's just, he's, he's hardcore. You know, he, he's, he's the classic defensive coordinator that you, that you want, you know, and he's the kind of person that can kind of whip these players into shape. And that's pretty much, pretty much what, what the Packers need right now on defense. I am a little concerned. Like he took the year off. I didn't really understand that. Why did he just wait for the right opportunity and maybe knew that there was a possibility he could get a Green Bay defensive coordinator job? I didn't really understand that. And he also got a really raw deal in Cleveland and I thought he actually wasn't that bad of a coach in um, Cleveland, but it's Cleveland. Um, could McCarthy really have not given our man Ben McAdoo an Alabama made up offensive assistant role on this team because he brought back Joe Philbin but McAdoo, former head coach, couldn't even get a, a made-up role. He's just gone. Yeah, I was kind of surprised at that. Uh, I didn't even think Joe Philbin was back on the radar. You know, I didn't think they were going to try and get the whole band back together. But I knew Philbin was, uh, I mean, um, Ben McAdoo was on the market you know, to being fired by the Giants. And when the Packers were whole reorganizing their, their coaching staff, I kind of felt like he would have been a good addition. You know, bring him back, you kind of especially as a quarterback's coach, you know, rather than bringing in this Frank, uh, Frank, uh, Cignetti, Cignetti guy. I've, I've never even oh, heard of him. Oh, the guy from, uh, Cleveland who got fired. Or, I mean, not Cleveland, Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, they pretty much, I didn't even realize. They pretty like, much That's so weird because, I was going to say, because Van Pelt went to Cincinnati to be the yeah, coach. Yeah, and that, yeah. like, upset Rodgers, right? Is that they were, like, really close or something. Yeah, I think they, uh, it, it, it was weird because Van Pelt, he wanted to pursue other opportunities, mm-hmm. but the Packers didn't renew his contract because he wanted to pursue other opportunities. So I don't get where the whole frustration with Rogers was because uh, it was a whole two-sided thing, but I think they're I just know? like best friends. Yeah, that, that, that would make sense. I mean, you know, they share a relationship for, for, for that long and they bond together for that long and they share that much success for that long. It makes sense. But to be fair, whenever you have the opportunity to coach Andy Dalton in 2018, you've got to take it. Oh, how can you pass that up? You can't. I mean, you have Aaron Rodgers or Andy Dalton. It's pretty pretty simple. Um, Which leads to my last question. Aaron Rodgers is just a modern-day Trent Dilfer. Why would you you stick around for that? Exactly. Um, What are they going to pay Aaron Rodgers this summer? 
I think it'll be done before training camp. Okay. And how is it? How much more is it going to be than like Matt? What Matt Ryan just got or Kirk Cousins? Is he getting a fully guaranteed contract? Maybe not fully guaranteed. If if anybody was going to get a fully guaranteed contract, it would be Aaron Rodgers. That's mm-hmm. that's that's for sure. Um, how much was Matt Ryan annually? Like thirty million. Mm-hmm. It, I, 30. I think Aaron Rodgers thirty. Yeah, thirty million. I thought so. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers at least eclipses thirty-two million. It, 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 it annually, it would only seem right. And I know they break it up a certain way. You know, they, they either backload or front load the contract. So, you know, he makes more a certain year. However, they, however, Russ Ball and David Dunn, Rogers, they decide to organize it. But I definitely think it will get done before training camp. You know, they've been, both sides have been working at this for months now, probably even the last year. Uh, Rogers has known that he's due for an extension for a while now, and they don't even have to get it done this offseason. You know, they're not in any rush. He still has two years left on his deal, but, you know, you got to pay the guy. He, he's done enough for you. You got to pay him. You got to keep him. I mean, he's the 10th highest paid quarterback in the league right now, like from an annual salary basis. He's set to, he's set to make $20.5 million in. But to be fair, isn't he like the third highest paid quarterback in the NFC North now? I think so, actually. Because you got Stafford. He got his big yeah. deal. Now you got, yeah. you got Kirk Cousins. He has to be looking right. around like that. I'm not the third highest paid quarterback in the NFC North. That's insane. Wow, you you put it that way. That's kind of embarrassing. Right? Okay. I didn't think I didn't think of that. Wow. Yeah, this uh, guy's got to get paid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no way he didn't see that and go, "Okay, this is a little insane." Uh, Kirk Cousins and Matt Stafford are nowhere near my level, and uh, yeah, I, I don't see that going well. Um, but there you go. And my favorite thing about the the difference between like the Aaron Rodgers paying Aaron Rodgers and paying like Kirk Cousins and Matt Ryan and guys like that is look, I love Matt Ryan. What he did a couple years ago was fantastic. But the Falcons tweeted out after the signing happened, the best is yet to come, and my eyes rolled back into my head because it's not this is not a contract for what he's going to do. He's thirty two, he's been in the league ten years. This was a contract for um everything he's done to this point. And the best years are gone. Like, uh, not only will Steve Sarkeesian continue to be a uh, detriment to his <laughs> ever getting back on track, but his year with Kyle Shanahan, where, where they went to the Super Bowl and he won the MVP, it's just, the, you're never going to top that. But, like, Rodgers, it's different because, like, he's still going to be an MVP caliber player for the foreseeable future. Um, it seems like people, like, talk, in, talk themselves into, like, issues with him with, like, his athleticism fading of, like, oh, what can he do if once he can't scramble like he used to and um, throw the bombs like he did in uh, Arizona in the playoffs and just, yeah. have, like, that's... Uh, that's overthinking it. Aaron Rodgers. We're getting, really good we're getting to that time. point. Exactly. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting to that point, especially yeah. when he's coming off a collarbone injury. Now everyone wants to talk themselves into these, these crazy scenarios where, Oh my God, Rodgers might not be as good as he was before. He might not be able to throw that, that 10 yard out with as much velocity as he was able to do before. Because I'm of his collarbone injury. It. Yeah. It's, it's over. It's I'm, ridiculous. Yeah, I'm, I am in the negative percentile with how, how worried I am about it. And and to your point about Ryan, I, I completely agree. I think at this point when your quarterback is 32 years old uh, and you're not a generational player like Rodgers is yep. or, or Brady, um, I, I, I think you're past the years of being able to rely on your quarterback and have him kind of carry a subpar roster. Not that Matt Ryan really ever did, um, but 
at this point, it's more about kind of just building the team around him. So I mm-hmm. hope by the best is yet to come. I hope they meant like the best roster is yet to come because otherwise the Falcons are kind of falling below the pack in the NFC because the mm-hmm. NFC is stacked right now. Yes. So. Well, maybe they're planning on moving to the AFC. Maybe that's oh, what that we're missing here. Yeah, we can go to the AFC South and move uh, the Jags to the NFC so we can make that even more stacked. And oh, then we'll the Jags us. and the Bucks can play each other twice a year now instead. Um, yeah, there yeah. we go. We solved football and the Falcons' issues of uh, paying Matt Ryan this amount of money for the next five years. Um, why, why aren't you the commissioner yet, Chad? Um, well, for one, it's Chase, not Chad. And then, oh, Chad, uh, Chase, Chase, sorry. <laughs> But you know what? Hey, it's early. All right, I get a pass. <laughs> oh, there's some <laughs> friends of mine that are gonna hear Chad and are never gonna let me um, live that one down. <sighs> it's the classic white guy name. What? It looks like it really is. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh, they're gonna enjoy that one. Um, all right, man. Well, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to do this early this morning. Um, we can find you at cheeseheadtv.com. Again, we can follow you on Twitter at Zach A. Jacobson. Zach, thank you so much for the time, and uh, let's talk again soon. All right, man. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. On the line right now, a first-timer on the CT Podcast, RJ Anderson of CBSSports.com. RJ, good morning. How are you? We finally made this happen. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, the first thing I want to ask you about is it seems like everybody's written a thank piece on Matt Harvey and when he met to New York and him moving on finally and the Dark Knight um, just leaving New York and all that good stuff. But um the most interesting thing to me is that he was actually pretty good. His first start, he only went four innings, but he gave up one hit. Um, what did you make of his first start in L.A., and do you think him moving to Cincinnati? Because I'm not a big believer, generally speaking, in the like change of scenery um, take that a lot of people throw out. It's just, it seems like a cliche that's rarely true, and if you're not good, it's just, it doesn't seem like it's one of those things where it's generally speaking true. It's just, it's like universal, ostensible truth that I, I don't really buy into. But um, it seems like for Harvey, though, it actually might be the perfect situation because there's no pressure. The Reds stink. And I just, I, I kind of like it. And I, I kind of really hope it all works out because um, maybe this was all he needed to kind of get back on track. But then again, I don't know if he ever is going to be able to be a full-time starter at this point in his career. It's it's all fascinating to me. Yeah, I think there are a few different kinds of change of scenery trades or transactions or whatnot, and he fits into the bin where you're talking about uh, not only being performance-related, but also the mental side. And we all know that the mental side can impact you know not only performance, but also day-to-day life and whatnot. So from that perspective, I think he can stand to benefit from getting away from the New York media, the tabloids, and even, you know, the ghost of the past, because everyone there is expecting him to be the Harvey of old. And realistically, I don't think that's going to happen. And I guess that's why I would say that while the results were, you know, pretty solid in this first start with the Reds, I'm still not too optimistic about him heading forward because, you know, when Matt Harvey was at his best, he was getting a lot of swings and misses with his secondary pitches. He was throwing 
you know, his fastball in the mid to upper 90s. And last time out, he did indeed throw his hardest pitch of the season around, you know, 96, 96.5 miles per hour. But when you look at the results on his, you know, pitch types and all, he got two swings and misses on 55 pitches all night. And, you know, that's just not Matt Harvey, you know, in his last three outings with the Mets. And that includes, you know, all the relief appearances there. He did not get a swing and miss on a secondary pitch. So we're talking about a guy right now who does not have great command. He doesn't have his overpowering fastball anymore, and he's not getting uh, the swings and misses on the secondary stuff. And that makes for a very, you know, dismal outlook for him. Now, is it possible that he's going to be able to become a back-end starter or something? Maybe, but in my opinion, his future is probably in the bullpen. And I'm not even sure if he's going to have a great deal of success there because we've already seen him kind of push back against that idea, not really take to that role. So, you know, it's going to require a mindset change on his part. And I'll say that I am sympathetic to him in the sense that he overcame two career-threatening surgeries. You know, the Tommy John surgery is sort of, you know, taken for granted as an automatic nowadays when it's not. And also the thoracic outlet surgery, which I don't think is given enough credit for how devastating it can be to a pitcher's career. So I'm sympathetic to that. I'm not going to put all of his struggles on his makeup or, you know, whatever um, personality-related quirks you want to describe a lot of people want to describe those struggles too but i just am not too optimistic about him heading forward oh man there's a bucket of water dumped on someone for something like this but you just dumped like just a pool of water on the matt harvey (laughs) resurgence um it's interesting because that's it, it sounds like you think he got lucky in this first start, which makes a lot of sense. And it's like one of those where it's people bought in. You got to look at how many he was actually getting uh, to swing and miss. And it's just one of those things where that's not going to (laughs) continue. That's just not how this works. So he's probably going to get rattled um, in his next start. Doesn't he pitch? What's today? Tuesday, tomorrow or Thursday? Something like that. Um, Uh, Yeah, it should be in the next few days. Yeah. I don't know the schedule offhand for them. Yeah. How do you not know they're starting rotation right now for the Cincinnati Reds, man. Uh, you can't oh, I know that. <laughs> I know it's not another schedule, but, you know, I'm a Sal Romano fanboy, so, mm-hmm. you know, pitch the contact, be a, you know, innings eater, all that good stuff. And he's a converted catcher, I believe, so it's kind of a fun story there, but, you know, I'm not too optimistic about him either, unfortunately. The Reds thing is just, I mean, it, so, there's no pressure in Cincinnati, obviously, but like, it's easy to forget Matt Harvey has not been good in over three years. That's been the weirdest thing to me is that like people make it seem like Harvey is like a year removed or not even a year removed from being really good. And it's not the reality. He's been bad for a long time. And a lot of it, like you said, has been the surgeries and everything else. But like he has not been the Matt Harvey that people remember in the World Series. And since that basically since that time. Like, that was a long time ago. It just, I guess, kind of doesn't feel like it's been that long ago. But um, that's been the weirdest thing to me is that, like, people have forgotten how much time has actually passed since Matt Harvey was a good starting pitcher. Yeah, and I think part of that is probably because he did miss time with the surgeries. And it's easy to kind of forget uh, a guy's troubles or whatnot when he's not really on the field. And, you know, beyond that, I also think, we have a tendency to always kind of remember the name value of these guys. And I think Harvey is going to live off that for a while. I mean, he's not even 30 years old. And so it's possible, if not likely, that he's going to get not just a shot in Cincinnati here, but probably a shot as a non-roster invitee if he doesn't really you know, turn on the Jets and show something impressive for the next few months, next spring. And then 
I wouldn't surprise me if he pitches for at least, you know, two or three or four other teams before he's all said and done, assuming that he wants to continue to pursue this baseball thing against, uh, against the odds and against what's likely to be some shaky results. So yeah, I mean, his name value is going to carry on for years and we've seen this in other cases. I mean, he's not the first guy who came up, looked like a phenom, got hurt and then bounced around the league for years. I think it's, you know, I just think it's kind of the normal pattern, so to speak, for these guys. And just think about Mark Pryor, and I don't want to compare this situation. Oh, no. Pryor obviously had a lot of injuries, but he bounced around the league forever. And even yeah. though there was like a minimal likelihood that he would ever get back to the big leagues, he bounced around forever. And, you know, if you're willing to stick with it, yeah, you'll get a lot of opportunities, especially if you're, you know, a former uh, first-round pick, a former guy who looked like he would be in Cy Young contention for the foreseeable future, and a guy who, yeah, he has a lot of name value and a lot of uh, brand recognition, so to speak. So, yeah, he's going to keep getting chances no matter what. Are the Seattle Mariners screwed? I feel bad for them more than any other MLB team this year. They're not in a good position, and it has to do, you know, we're saying this like two days after Robinson Scano broke his hand. And yep. that's very, very problematic for that team because they don't have a lot of depth. And when you add in how poor their pitching has been, they really needed their lineup to continue to slug as they have. And, you know, this makes that a lot, lot tougher to do. And you add in where they are in that division, you know, the Astros and the angels are good. The A's are better than people think uh, the Rangers are worse than people think, but it's just a bad situation on a lot of different levels because the Mariners, they don't really have any farm system to speak of anymore. They, hey, Kyle Lewis, your, man. They have a one top he, yeah. 100 prospect right now. They do. Yeah, Kyle Lewis. No, Kyle Lewis is a good prospect. Other than that, though, you know, they're not going to deal Kyle Lewis because he's their only guy. And beyond that, they seem capped out. I mean, there was no excuse yep. other than being capped out for their offseason. It seemed like it was Otani or Bust for them, which is really not what you would want because this roster – particularly the core is aging. I mean, they're not a bunch of, you know, youngsters there. Even Mitch Haniger, who is having an outstanding season, he's older than people realize because, you know, he's spent years. Was it 26? Yeah, he's, I believe he's 26 to 28, somewhere in that range. So he's, you know, you can't even call him a youngster. Um, and just beyond that, I mean, there have been rumblings about this organization and some of the, uh, let's say, disharmony and some of the questionable stuff they have going on for months now within the industry. And I think there's a real chance that, Jerry DePoto and crew aren't there next year. Now, oh, wow. winning changes all. Winning heals all, you know. So th- right now they're winning, and if that continues, and even if it doesn't, maybe, you know, ownership gives them another year or whatnot because of the injuries and because of some of the bad breaks. But, you know, realistically, this organization is not in a good spot, and they're probably mm-hmm. closer to having their window closed than having it open, which is not a great sign because this is a club who has not made the postseason in nearly 17 years. So, you know, it's not a good situation at all. So are you telling me you're a little bit worried about Gordon Beckham playing second base for Robinson Cano for <laughs> the next two months? Uh, you know, if it were 2008 again, maybe mm-hmm. I would feel like Gordon Beckham could be a suitable replacement. But unfortunately for the Mariners, you know, the time their time machine didn't seem to work with Ichiro, and I don't think it's going to work with Gordon Beckham either. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um which this all just kind of sucks because they are having a good year. They're 23 and 17. They're doing it all with like a really garbage starting rotation outside of James Paxton. Um, Wade LeBlanc is giving them good starts. So that's, I guess, cool. Um, but Mike Leak and Felix Hernandez have both been terrible. Like they just, their rotation's a mess. 
and uh, I'm a little concerned. They have a great closer, though. Uh, that's that's something, um, I guess. But like you pointed out at the top, like we even mentioned the Red Sox and the Yankees. Like they're both gonna get a playoff spot, so that's one wild yeah. card already gone. And then you have the Angels, who uh, with Otani and Trout, like they are just uh, they're too good. So the Mariners just are kind of screwed because they have no path to getting to the playoffs this year, unless like. Uh, barring major injuries to one of the top teams right now, it seems like the American League has kind of already solidified its playoff uh, standings. Like one of the Red Sox and Yankees will get a wild card spot, which is going to be nuts because um, that just seems wrong. The Indians are going to be able to bypass the wild card game while the Red yeah. Sox or the Yankees have to fight for their lives uh, against like the Angels, most likely. Like it's just, um, man, the ratings for. The Angels versus like Yankees or Red Sox in the wild card game is going to be absolutely bonkers because um, it's going to be Otani. If you get like Otani versus like I don't even know Sale or something, or even like Severino, oh my god, yeah, incredible. Yeah. I'm already looking ahead. We're like six months away from that, but <laughs> I'm already thinking about that. Um, yeah, I just I, I feel bad, man. Hanniker's having a great year. The Mariners are 23 and 17 as we're recording this, like. It's just, it doesn't matter. That's the sad part. It just doesn't matter. Well, I guess if you're a Mariners fan and you're trying to find reason for optimism, it has to do with the Angels and the health of their rotation. Because yep. as it stands right now, yes, you know Tyler Skaggs has been phenomenal for them, and obviously Otani has been every bit as good as the hype suggested he would be, perhaps even better, honestly. At the same time, you know, the Angels' rotation – basically everyone in that rotation has missed time in the past. And if you look at some of the studies out there by Russell Carlton of Baseball Prospectus, the best predictor of an injury is a past injury. And everyone in that rotation has past injuries to speak of. So it's not out of the question that the Angels suffer a couple of starting pitching injuries. Maybe even Otani misses a start or two. I mean, he's already missed one start. Um, you know, Maybe he misses a start or two because he's adjusting to a new league. He's 23. He's adjusting to a new workload. It's not out of the question that the Angels are, you know, in a bad position with their own rotation in a month's time or in two months' time or what have you. And I don't think the Mariners are as talented as the Angels, and certainly, you know, losing Cano hurts them a lot. But that's kind of the path to the postseason for the Mariners is the Angels suffering so many starting pitching injuries that they just cannot withstand it anymore. And, you know, the Mariners, I don't know. I think Leak is better than he's shown. I think Marco Gonzalez is probably better than he's shown, but I've been saying that for so many years now that I'm starting to grow concerned that maybe he's just not as good as I thought he could be, which is like a you know number three, number four starter type. And I'm not really optimistic that Felix is going to bounce back too much more, but you, know, you can kind of look at those performances and say, okay, these guys will come back a little bit, they'll improve a little bit. The problem is you can say the same thing about some of the offensive performers. And then you're kind of stuck with this team, which is likely going to fish, you know, around 500 or whatever. And, you know, we were talking about all the AL postseason teams. I mean, Toronto has a chance to improve when they promote Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, you know, Minnesota is better on paper than they've shown so far. I know they're dealing with injuries, but you're right. Um, you know, those two American League East teams are monsters and the Astros are a monster. And then you have, you know, a couple of teams, you know, led by the Angels who, Seemingly, you're in better position than the Mariners, not only now, but going forward. So you're right. You know, Seattle is in a pretty depressing situation. And, you know, their best hope here is to have others suffer a bunch of misfortune. And that's never a good place to be when it's, you know, 
the middle of May, and we're already talking about how much help you need to get into the postseason. Especially with how bad their uh, farm system is right now, because they're at they're close. You know, you talk about the Angels, and I think if they had some better prospects to deal, they could maybe make a run. Like if it sucks, that they don't have the firepower to go after Machado or someone like that to kind of put them in contention with the Angels for the other wild card spot, but they just don't. So I just don't know what they do because it makes more sense to sell off. But if, like you brought up with DePito and everybody else um, in this front office, they might not be there next year. So they're kind of um, gunning for their jobs right now. So it doesn't seem like they're going to be sellers at the deadline because if they are, then they're probably not going to be back either. And it's it's complicated, but it, it sounds like there's no way they would be sellers at the deadline. But at the same time, they can't really be that proactive in the market because they just don't have the ammunition to bring in um, not even a big time uh, talent, but even just a pretty solid, even like a stopgap second baseman or whoever. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what they do. Yeah. And it's a, it's basically the worst situation to be in where you can't really um, go either way. You kind of have to be stuck with what you brought to the dance and yep. what they brought to the dance was a team that was, clearly flawed on paper and frankly it's probably overperformed a little bit so far record wise i don't think again that many people had them being too far above 500 and so and yeah it's a bad situation but it's one that they created for themselves i mean if you remember the off season before last they went out there they traded some of their uh, prospects and to be clear they've never really had a good farm system under this current regime and even under last regime it's been a few years since they were you know had some highly talented guys and you know, they traded those guys. They got a little older. They got a little more expensive. And, you know, the Drew Smiley trade busted. And they also gave up uh, Gohara in that deal. And he would look pretty good in the rotation right now, even though he's been dealing with his own injury issues. And then, you know, they give up Malik Smith. And he's had a pretty good season. I'm not really a big believer in the bat. But, you know, you could argue that he's an upgrade over Ben Gamble. And, you know, so on and so forth. You know, the Giovanni Gallardo deal didn't really work out. Um and they, yeah, they just had a number of trades that was kind of busted for them or look lopsided now. And it's just a bunch of uh, questionable, questionable process, you know, questionable decision-making. And it was all in the name of trying to compete now, trying to make the most out of what was left of Felix Hernandez and of Cano's prime and Nelson Cruz and even Kyle Seeger. And yeah, it looks like they're going to come up short. And you know, it's unfortunate for them because, you know, some of those guys are, Seemingly, just never going to make the postseason with the Seattle Mariners. I mean, Kyle Seager is one of the better third basemen in baseball, has been throughout his career. The national stage probably doesn't really know him because he's never played in a big game. He's never played in October, and it's a shame. But at the same time, you know, this is, this is the situation. And again, I think it's one of the most depressing in baseball because it doesn't seem like, as you said, you know, they can really win no matter what they do. Should we be worried about the Cleveland Indians at all? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I get that, okay. you know, they've played below expectations and we're a quarter of the way through, but, you know, you look at that roster and there's still a lot of talent there. Lindor and Jose Ramirez are probably going to be uh, down ballot MVP vote recipients because of how they, how well they played and how well they're likely to continue to play. You know, they they can pitch. Mike Clevenger has been very good for them. I was a little bit of a skeptic and he's so far proved that I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and beyond that, I think they're going to I think they're going to be able to address their bullpen, which has been, mm. you know, the weakest point for them. They're going to get some middle relief help either through trade, through internal improvement, whatever. We when you look at the lineup, I don't 
really buy into Yonder Alonso being great, but I think he'll be better than he's been so far. I think Jason, Jason Kipnis is going to hit better than he has so far, and I think they can find I mean, a way to improve their outfield as well. Um, and I'll just note their top prospect, Francisco Mejia, He's a catcher by trade, but they did give him some looks in the outfield and also at third base just as a way to kind of, uh, you know, broaden their options. Worst scenario like this to unfold where they kind of need some outfield help uh, to go along with Michael Brantley, who within himself is kind of an injury risk. So, yeah, I think they're going to get better. I think they'll be fine. I think a lot of it depends on what happens with Kipnis and Brantley. It seems like if they can get those guys on track then they're back in contention. But if I'm an Indians fan, I'm pretty worried because you look at the AL East behemoths, you look at the Astros, you look at the Angels, and you're like, oh, shit. Did our Was our window closed on us without us realizing it last year? And I, Well, I think that's possible. I will say, though, if they, get to the, if they get to October, and they should get to October because they have like no competition in America League Central, yep. then all of a sudden some of the weak points of their roster will be hidden. You know, if... Like right now, middle relief has been a problem for them. Once you get to October with that rotation, realistically, you can ride Allen Miller as they have in the past, where they you know combine mm-hmm. for like three innings. So then you yeah. just need six innings from Kluber, from Clevenger, from whomever, and that's certainly doable. And you know maybe that's, one inning mixed true. in from Nick Goody or whomever is you know pitching well at that point for them. So I think you know just getting to October, all of a sudden some of these weaknesses will fade away because of how you're able to uh, leverage your roster. Uh, in short series versus playing every single night. Who do you think is more likely to get back on track, Brantley or Kipnis? Well, Brantley's already having a pretty good year. Uh, if you look yeah. at his overall numbers, I believe he's around like a 130. Well, isn't it more with like injury plus. stuff? Like, is it more uh, that yeah. he stays healthy or Kipnis actually like gets back on track and starts hitting better than uh, 181 <laughs> right now or something yeah, like that? Yeah, Kipnis, Kipnis has been awful this year. Um... You know, injuries are such a such an unknown frontier. You brought up where it's of hard like to... past injuries are the biggest predictor of no, future of injuries. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard for me to say. Oh, Brantley will stay healthy. So I guess I would say Kipnis is probably more likely to, you know, get back to being a decent hitter. There's just a lot of, you know, I mean, his track record speaks for itself. He's not that old to the point where you should be concerned that oh, he's a crater risk or what have you. And unless there's an injury issue there or you know, something going on behind the scenes that I'm just not aware of, I would have to believe he's going to do better than he's done so far. And even if he doesn't reach his past heights, you know, he's not going to be one of the worst hitters in baseball all season. Again, unless there's something going on injury-wise or what have you. And if there were something going on like that, I have to believe they would put him on the DL, bring up Yandy Diaz or whomever, and, you know, get Kipnis right. Because, again, if you're the Indians, you're not really worried about the next few months because it almost doesn't matter. You're going to win the Central. Uh, you know, with due respect to the Twins, I just don't think they're as good as Cleveland on paper, and I don't think they're realistically going to be able to outlast Cleveland all season long or anything like that. So, yeah, I think, you know, this Cleveland team, they're probably going to post a disappointing regular season record relative to our expectations, but I think they will be a much more competitive team come October because of the way they'll be able to manipulate their roster versus how they're having to deal with uh, these death concerns right now. I will say, I, I'm kind of annoyed that Alonzo has not been a dumpster fire for them. Because when they went the cheap route with Carlos Santana, I was actively rooting against them doing well this year. That kind of stuff drives me insane when teams are close to contending and they still don't um, just pay. Like, Santana's deal was not crazy. And what he was asking was not crazy. And they lost him. They went the cheaper route with Alonzo. And he's been okay, but like... 
I don't know. Part of me is just always going to be annoyed about stuff like that, where teams that are in the contention window, if I was a fan, I'd be very, very frustrated. But at the same time, he's been okay. So I don't know. Going back and forth on that, I guess. No, I understand that. You want teams to be bold, especially teams like Cleveland, where they're right there at the cusp of potentially having something special. Um, at the same time, you know, the realities of the situation dictate that they're going to have to make these tough decisions. And I'm not a big Alonzo fan. I know he broke out last year and there was all this talk about his launch angle and I get it. But at the same time, to me, he's always, I mean, I, I know we're talking about a slightly new Yonder Alonzo here, but I guess that's the thing. I didn't he's still bat like 216. His OPS plus is terrible. Like it's just the home run. Yeah, he's not all it is right now. <laughs> yeah, he's not been good, which is not very Yonder Alonzo like because he used to be basically, you know, Casey Cosman 2.0, but oh yeah, I don't know. I guess the other one, I get James from, Loney. James yeah, James Loney was the other one. Yep. I mean, if you go back, he's you know Lyle Overbay and all those guys, and you know oh, for the most fantastic. part, yeah. Yeah, but that's not him anymore. It seems like he's really legitimately changed his profile to be more of a power hitter, and right now he's missing the average component, which used to define him. So it's kind of funny how that works out. But no, I get it from both sides. Um, you know, realistically, I don't know what the Cleveland's budget situation is like and I don't know what ownership has dictated to them and I know they do have to kind of plan for the future a little bit with the sense that they want to retain Francisco Lindor and they want to retain uh, some of these other guys who are important to their core and that means making tough decisions and I would agree that you know Carlos Santana's deal was not outrageous he is an underrated player you know he kind of gets lost in the shuffle at first base because of the fact he doesn't hit for a ton of power but he's an on-base machine he's durable as can be he's a switch hitter you hear good things about him in the clubhouse He's a better fielder than uh, people think. And yeah, he's a good player and it was a good addition by the Phillies. But yeah, I just, I understand it from both sides and it is unfortunate when a team has to let a guy like that walk. And it's unfortunate that they did have to bring in, you know, Alonzo instead of perhaps aiming a little higher, but you know, such as life. And I don't think it's going to be the difference between the, uh, between Cleveland making the postseason or not. It might be the difference once October rolls around, but you know, there's still a lot of season left to play, and it's possible Alonzo performs better than he has so far. It's probably likely that he performs better than he has so far because I think he has like an 87 OPS plus or whatever, and I think he's probably closer to a league average hitter than that, which is not great at first base, but it's certainly an improvement. And, you know, uh, I do think they'll be fine when it's all said and done, though. RJ, I appreciate you taking the time. This is a lot of fun. Of course. Thank you for having me. All right, well, we can find you on Twitter at R underscore J underscore Anderson. We can read you at cbssports.com slash MLB. And uh, let's talk again soon. Of course. Thank you.